1: When Raw ends, when it's time to begin. It's on the Rewind A Raw with John Pollock and Waiting the 18. That makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewind A Raw for Monday night. Download a Tuesday morning from the Post Wrestling site. It's Rewind A Raw for Monday night on USA. Now on the John and Waiting the mic. Welcome to Rewind A Raw. I'm John Pollock, joined by Waiting. Who is alive? Blow away.
0: I'm very I'm very much alive, yes. That I am. As are you? As Edwin said. Ain't it good to what? be alive. Oh. Uh, that's uh that might be a bit more of an obscure reference. I don't know how many people outside of this city um of a certain age would would remember that
1: song. That's like a twenty year cut, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't know how popular it really was.
1: I mean you're talking about CanCon At this point. You know? Well, um, you know, for for the people out there who saw the biggest problems in life being that if we could only just have one more astronaut that would be be the solution. It's all tied together. Uh how are you doing? How was your Monday? Good?
0: Yeah, not bad. No, it was a great day outside. So, you know, carried on a bit of that momentum from yesterday, decided to go for a nice long walk and uh Man, I'm tired. I was like pretty exhausted by certainly by the first hour of this show, I was feeling it. Um, But
1: yeah, we've been enjoying some really great weather in the city right now. Yep, we're about due for a snowstorm, so that our luck will run will run out soon. It was it was mid May last year. We did get snow, so I'm 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 hoping for it to be honest. Well, like I, I I've had my winter
0: jacket out like for like all these months. I'm 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 waiting to just put it put it back in, but I'm I'm really unsure. So I I just have like jackets on top of jackets right now. I got my spring jacket, my other spring jacket and a, you know, so please just make up your mind,
1: Mother Nature. It's tough. We we live in a very indecisive country when it comes to seasonal change. But we'll keep everyone posted. I know that they're they're always curious those outside of the GTA. What is the weather situation like? I want to hear John and Way talk about the weather.
0: Do, do you have any issues with allergies? Seasonal allergies?
1: It's funny. I I used to and have not um wow you're so lucky yeah maybe like th- this up. year and last year and i, and I do wonder if, if any of that is somewhat pandemic related i you know i i was wondering if my allergies are worse because i've been indoors
0: so often mm. i i don't know but they were really tough this year and i actually was just uh alerted that it might be due to global warming might have something to do with that oh okay delayed pollination or longer pollination but you're you're lucky like i've had the opposite of of you where i've grown up for most of my life not feeling anything and
1: you know in recent years it's gotten really bad but you you, i I grew up i grew up and i did not have them and then it was in my 20s usually every spring i get them bad for three weeks or so but the last definitely i didn't get it last year and i don't know if it goes back further than that but yeah this year nothing not a thing Okay, well let's let's hope that keeps up. So good luck, good luck on that on that battle. Yes, yes. I think I'll be okay. Well, I hope you're gonna be well this week because on Thursday, you will be joined by Jordan Goodman live at three PM and you guys have a big guest this Thursday.
0: Yeah, once a month, Jordan Goodman and I are joined by the entire post wrestling community on Patreon, postwrestlingcafe.com, as we bring you the wellness policy. And this week we actually have our very first guest on the Wellness Policy officially. Uh, his name is David Speed and some of you may have recognized his work. He is a really talented street artist. Uh some of you may have remembered when Brody Lee passed, uh there's this wonderful mural that uh was posted on Reddit and made the rounds and um this person happens to be a big wrestling fan obviously. Uh but you know, he also hosts a res- uh, a podcast about creativity. So we want to bring him on to talk about creativity. So if you have any interest in the topic or just, you know, want to check out the wellness policy, if you're a patron, tune in live 3 p.m. Eastern at postwrestlingcafe.com on Thursday, but uh, as always, it'll be free for all page- for everybody uh, afterwards on the free feed.
1: Yeah, we've got that show on Friday. We're going to have a new Rewind Away where we are going to be reviewing TNA Unbreakable from 2005. Inside the Impact Zone, featuring one of the most remembered main events in TNA history with Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, and AJ Styles fighting for the X Division Championship. And we will rewind 16 years to TNA in 2005, just weeks before they would launch on Spike TV. And what a show we have to review, which we will be reviewing on Impact+. Plus. Yeah, we'll, be, we'll
0: speak a bit about it, uh, the Impact Plus experience, perhaps.
1: You, you know what, my, my early... I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it for the show. Oh, okay. Teasing. I have a bad habit of doing that, where I talk about things on shows that are disconnected from the show that it makes more sense for it to be discussed on. So I'm going to hold off on that. No, you can give it away right now. No, John. no. We'll just, and we'll just cut off the
0: ending... With some sort of like screwy, you know, so a trombone will play in the background. Therefore,
1: people will have incentive to pay to check it out at a later time. There you go. Um, you want to get into this head? Six dollars a month. It's the least. It's 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 a bargain, folks. So rewind away this Friday. Uh, we'll have a post pro res this weekend with WH and Dylan. Uh, it's not a crazy week. This is not uh, an insane week, which I don't mind. I can take these. Really packed weekends, and then we get offset with like some calmer ones, like coming up this weekend, because this weekend, given that there's not a whole lot going on, uh, I'm going to hope to watch that Hanuacoura tribute show that's going to be on uh, Sunday. It's going to be on Sunday night on on fight, so and it will have English commentary, so I'm going to probably check that out on Sunday, which uh, would have been tough if it was a weekend where there's 10,000 events going on.
0: More time to enjoy the weather.
1: That's true. That's true. All right. The whole schedule is up at postwrestling.com. Check that out. If you are just listening, right? Moments after Raw, like, wow, they're live. Raw was just on. I want more. Well, you can get us live, folks. Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, after Dynamite, after SmackDown. It's the key to your wrestling fandom. It is possible to become a patron, to listen to these
0: right after these shows end. But I think more and more people are just not watching the shows at all and just listening.
1: So you could do that, too, if you choose. Whatever you so choose. Um, and it's it's hard to get a, a gauge over the last uh, few days because Show Buzz Daily has created a, a giant hole in the wrestling community. This, What's been happening? Yeah. Show Buzz Daily is on life support. Like,
0: showbuzz daily. I know, like, you know, websites can be uh, somewhat problematic, but come on, like, how how long has this been? It's almost been a week now that this whole thing is down.
1: It's been down me- since, uh, since Thursday.
0: Are you telling me there are, are no other ways you could deliver these graphs and spreadsheets? Come on. You've not heard of uh, Facebook? Why not just, like, screen cap the thing and put the thing up there? Or um, Google Drive? Draw. Dropbox?
1: There's there's multiple ways of distributing such information, but uh, Showbuzz Daily, it's, um, you know, the... Showbuzz Weekly, soon. I mean, maybe it was just, you know what they couldn't handle? They couldn't handle AEW putting that graphic up on Wednesday. It was just, they weren't ready. They weren't ready. That's what crashed the like, site, yeah. It's a, uh, so anyway, let's, let's go into uh, a couple news stories and... Uh, starting off, the unfortunate news, the passing of uh, Don Kernodal at the age of 71. Uh, this news came out on Monday. In uh, Don Cronodal, younger fans might not be familiar as much with, with his body of work. He was um, you know, a pretty successful figure in the Mid-Atlantic Territory. He started his career in the early 70s and then rose up and he was part of Sergeant Slaughter's Cobra Corps. And he was teaming with... Private Jim Nelson, who would later become Boris Zukov of the of the Bolsheviks, and after that team dissolved, the more famous team is Don Kernodal and Sergeant Slaughter, and together they would win the NWA World Tag Team Championship and had one of if not the biggest matches in the history of the Carolinas with Jay Youngblood and Ricky uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Where they were the babyface tag team chasing after the titles, and it built up to March the twelfth of nineteen eighty-three, and this was billed as the final conflict. It was Steamboat and Youngblood's last opportunity at the tag titles, and it's kind of amazing to recap this, given we just saw this stipulation on SmackDown a few weeks ago with Daniel Bryan, similar st- stipulation where you know he would have to leave the territory. This was you know their final chance at the titles. The difference was, here in 1983, uh, this was one of the most in-demand shows ever. It, like, Remember that Greensboro, North Carolina, it's very well known to wrestling fans because of Jim Crockett promotions. It's a very small city when you're comparing it to other major territories and the metropolitan area. This is a city of about 150,000. And they drew a sellout at the Greensboro Coliseum for this match, which was over 16,000. And they turned away thousands of people. I believe the figure was somewhere around 6,000 people that tried and could not get into this. So it was an enormous card. They were the headliner. Uh, there was also a match with uh, Rick Flair and Greg Valentine, but the cage match went on last and Young Blood and Steamboat won the titles. And while it was the final conflict, they did take the match to all the different cities including Toronto because this is when Mid-Atlantic and uh and the Tunnies had a, w- a working relationship, and they would come up here uh, on Sundays. So it was an enormous match so big that, that this was largely the impetus behind Starcade later that year to run a major event uh, on Thanksgiving night, which was a traditional big wrestling night in the territory going back to the early 60s. Uh, but it was this match, this demand that led to... Starcade and having you know a small level of closed circuit locations on top of it, and you know you know you could go into the history of Starcade, but this match really kind of lit that fuse when uh, Dory Funk Jr. was the the head booker in the company. Uh, after losing that match, that's when Slaughter would go to the World Wrestling Federation. Kernodal himself uh, would work with the WWF throughout 1983, but would return and and wrestle in Jim Crockett Promotions he would later team with Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff before they did a big angle to kick Kernodal out of the group and then he would team with his brother Rocky Kernodle, uh up until you know he he wound down his his days in the ring and then uh, did, did some dates in in Puerto Rico uh, earlier in his career and then even into the early 90s and then did some sporadic matches for the uh, CWF Mid Atlantic Group up until uh, 2006. Between 02 to 06, he did some uh, matches here and there. But that was, I think, when you say Don Carnotal, you're most going to associate him with the team with Sergeant Slaughter and that March 12th, 1983 date. A very, a very important match in in the Carolinas and and by extension, um, you know what what it uh, you know contributed to in terms of Starcade and building to these these big annual events as they moved more into you know what would eventually become the pay-per-views that the company would run
0: yeah a figure that's very much before my time but um sounded like he had an incredibly storied career how old was he
1: he was 71 so other uh news items today. New Japan has announced that they're going to be resuming shows beginning on May the 22nd, so coming up later this week, uh, in Nagoya, uh, followed by three straight nights at Core Q and Hall next week, and, you know, they won't be doing that Tokyo Dome show, which when I was looking at the schedule, way do you realize that had that Tokyo Dome show gone ahead, we would have had SmackDown on the Friday night of the 28th, followed by Dynamite at 10, with the Tokyo Dome, several hours later, early Saturday morning. Wow, uh, we narrowly avoided catastrophe. I'm not. I'm not missing that Tokyo Dome show not happening on on the on the 29th. So that's uh, we can do that later in the uh, in the year. But New Japan basically getting back to their schedule, as is Ring of Honor, who have announced uh, their best in the world pay per view will be Sunday, July the 11th. So an interesting move that they're going from Friday night pay-per-views to Sunday night pay-per-views in Baltimore, clearly wanting to avoid the rewind to SmackDown conflict. So uh, a smart move on their part. And this show in Baltimore uh, is going to have limited capacity. They will have pods set up to a maximum of six people per pod uh, with social distancing of six feet between each group. Temperatures will be taken. Masks must be worn. uh, So, I would say, like, a much more careful approach being taken by Ring of Honor than, you know, some other companies that uh, we have, like, whether it be uh, the UFC or, like, it just seems like they are going back into this, but we we already knew that the, in Maryland, they have had very, very strict protocols that ROH has followed, and this looks to be the acknowledgement that fans can be here, but also putting a lot of protocols in place, and this is what so many... Um the NFL is going through this right now where it's kind of unknown what are the protocols going to be cuz they expect full capacity stadiums this fall when the NFL resumes and what's going to be the protocols in place and right down to are they going to require proof of people to show that they are vaccinated that's that's a whole area that's being explored now. Mhm yeah
0: um I I feel like ROH has, you know, been incredibly careful throughout this entire pandemic. And that continues even up until this point where it feels like so many places are just going back to normal or maybe not really kind of like um, figuring um, the effort required to keep up with something like contact tracing even. But, uh, yeah, we have to commend ROH for continuing to, you know, keep these. Uh, keep safety. It's uh, first priority by a, a big margin.
1: Yeah, they've they've really been at the the forefront. I think when you look at this this past year, uh, th- this is a, just a major media story. And I mean, there is some you know trickle down to all of this, but that may not be realized for a while. And that is AT and T announcing that they are going to essentially merge together Warner Media and Discovery. This is a forty three billion dollar deal, and of course Warner Media that encompasses. Uh, TNT, uh, but more importantly, Turner Sports and how that figures into all of this. This is just a gigantic, um, you know, media deal. And this merger is going to make this combination larger than Netflix and NBC Universal, be the second largest media company in the world behind Disney. Uh, Now, this deal is not expected to close until the middle of 2022 uh, because they have to go through regulatory approval um, shareholder approval. Uh, but anyway, this is just a big major worldwide story today, but, uh, somewhere in all of that is, is TNT to see what, what all of this means and, you know, their overall strategy as it relates, I would say to the, their sports portfolio is a significant one in, in the Warner media, uh, business. I believe technically it
0: is a new company being created with the two entities rather than, um, AT&T strictly merging, uh, for instance, But um, it's right. Like it's
1: a it's a yeah, it's like essentially putting Warner Media with Discovery. Mm -hmm. And I feel like
0: the result uh, that might possibly trickle down to AEW won't be felt for a long, long time, Uh, if at all. You know, like AEW and really even TNT is probably just going to be a very small portion of this entire portfolio, which encompasses HBO and man, anything like CNN um, and you know, uh, the DC universe, I suppose, you know, like movies, you know, we're talking. So I, I, I really don't know at what point, you know, it it'll affect everything. Of course, you know, this is a, a really big story, but, um, will zombies be involved? Well, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of room for cross promotion. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Zach, Zach Snyder did, is, is that a, it's Warner movie. I don't know. I don't know where he produced it. Um, but, you know, it, it continues to maybe offer more opportunity for synergy, I suppose, if you're talking about uh, the future for AEW uh, being teamed up with, you know, TV people in Discovery that might be able to handle their sort of product with, uh, with a bit more insight, you would hope.
1: And then quickly, uh, we've got NXT on Tuesday that they've announced uh, Johnny Gargano and Bronson Reed in the steel cage match for the North American title. Zoe Stark versus Tony Storm and an interview with Pete Dunne. And I thought we got more than our usual hype for NXT on tonight's Raw, where instead of just your generic commercial, they had promos cut by Reed and Gargano with like the old school behind the fence for the cage match build up. I thought it was a much more effective way to promote A big match than what we usually get for nxt which is a very it's a very dry promotion that's just a a commercial
0: i sense that too yeah i mean once nxt moves moved to tuesdays i think we had all wondered how much more uh cross promotion you might see for the show being directly following raw the next night and i don't really know if you saw the full effect of that uh certainly not to the level that you maybe saw tonight so it's good for nxt and these are some pretty good commercials too you know, a uh, comic just,
1: book poster for the match as well.
0: Yeah, they weren't simply like um, this match is happening. Here's a matchup board like they they, they it to be honest, it it, it kind of blew away anything on tonight's show, like the <laughs> promos and and like the, the card even for take uh, for NXT tomorrow. Uh definitely blows away anything on tonight's show.
1: They didn't explain if any musical instruments could come into play, though, during the cage match.
0: Well, it's not a soundproof cage, is it?
1: So what these wrestlers need, noise-canceling headphones. Mm. Preferably wireless. Mm. And then AEW on Wednesday, their updated lineup. They've added a few matches. It's uh, the Young Bucks against the Varsity Blondes for the tag titles. Serena Deeb versus Red Velvet for the NWA women's title. Moxley and Kingston against the acclaimed. Christian Cage versus Matt Seidel. Anthony Agogo versus Austin Gunn. And Hikaru Shida versus Rebel not Reba. All right.
0: Yes. Cool.
1: Shawn Michaels, any biography? Did you get to see it?
0: I did get to see it. Yeah.
1: What, do, what did you think just overall in terms of, um, you know, with, with Shawn Michaels, I think that they went into a lot of areas that I kind of expected them to. It's always interesting when they like in WWE in particular, their code words for a lot of this stuff, it's demons and partying. Uh but they did get more specific in this.
0: I yeah, I felt like they didn't really kind of rely on the code words too much. I mean, Shawn Michaels was very blunt about doing a lot of blow. Uh blow slash yayo, which you often say, which I thought was awesome. Um
1: and then Continental would get his hundred dollar payoff where he could get fifty bucks and then fifty bucks in blow that nine times out of ten he would take them up on that exchange. We even had like the um I guess stock
0: footage of like lines of Coke being uh uh divvied up um like you would see and then like superimposed over top of it. So. I, I think
1: they, yeah. So <laughs> it's always great when they can dig into the uh the stock footage.
0: Uh, you know, I felt like this was the best one they've done. It to me really? presented, yeah. Well. I think it's kind of slim pickings, honestly, about, like, what else there is. But of the A&E biographies, I like this one the most. I thought it presented what felt like a pretty honest, yet obviously very abridged look at Sean's past faults and subsequent transformation.
1: They tried Um, to cover a lot in the two hours. Like, they mm – you know, it's a pretty expansive career, and they did try to hit on everything. I – like, the Montreal stuff, I'm not even going to get into – like it wasn't overbearing. No, like it wasn't. Like they it. kept they kept it short. It's it's still the old well, whatever. Like you can get into your your philosophy behind all of it. it. But I, I like that they kept it relatively small in the whole thing. I mean, it was what five six minutes.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Like and when you think about the context of his entire career, that is not an incident that necessarily defines him. I imagine for Brett, it'll probably take a bit more time because I think unfortunately it seems to define Brett a whole lot more than it seems to define Sean. But I felt like there was some pretty good coverage of all the major incidents in his career. You have to remember these A&E biographies, they're, they're not necessarily like a dark side of the ring that kind of like tries to investigate a specific incident this is more just a general Wikipedia overview of the main events of this person's career to somebody who might be familiar with Sean, but wasn't, but didn't, doesn't know all this stuff. Or maybe somebody who doesn't know who Shawn Michaels is whatsoever. In 90 minutes, you can know, okay, what is the barbershop window? Uh, What does, what is Syracuse? What is losing your smile? You know, uh, they covered all these things. I thought like in pretty succinct and like pretty good, um, uh fashion i didn't feel like there were any kind of like crazy selections of talking heads in this one like there was in previous episodes felt like everybody who was chosen for the show was was a relevant voice
1: yeah i thought you got some you know one of the like main things you come out of this it's i don't want to say necessarily sorrow but it's it's like somewhat you just feel sad that this guy had like, he very much is open about the fact that in his career, like, the first half of his career, it's literally all this guy has. It's it's just, he comes up from, like, a very, like, doesn't have, like, a problem upbringing, has a wonderful family, but he gets into this industry and finds success immediately. Like, he's in Mid-South. That's his first territory at 19, and by 21, like, he's gone to Kansas City and Central States he's on ESPN for the AWA at 21. Like he's just rising up very quickly. And then he has, and he gets almost immediately. He's into the pills. He's into the partying and he's so dependent on it. And it just, he had no life outside of pro wrestling. And it just seemed like a very hollow existence that he lived that only escalated as his talents grew, his exposure grew and his bank account, at such a high level but this was a very empty human being through th- until the late 90s
0: mm-hmm. something i don't often think about when it comes to like Shawn michaels and his championship run in the mid 90s is that like i mean on, people often talk about kevin nash being a poorly drawn champion but i mean in many ways i felt sean was you know kind of admittedly here like a failed champion with the company not really able to kind of handle that sort of uh, uh, weight on his shoulders and uh, even reluctant to, you know, give it up by, by the end. Um, so it, it, he, he is a great in-ring performer. And I think uh, we all, like, love the ninety Shawn Michaels. But, I mean, certainly mentally, this really highlighted that he was not ready for that spot. And ended up, you know, retiring, I mean, because of his body. But, you know, you, you have to wonder mm, how much, like, his lifestyle and everything else would have played into... His, his early retirement at the age of 33.
1: I, I think you have to just throw it out there that had he not had that back injury, um, was he going to make it? I think that's yeah. a very, that's a very relevant question to ask because this is a guy that was spiraling. Like it sounded very much like the, the, the final days of Brian Pillman. Like that's how dark this guy's life was getting by 97, early 98. And it's just living off of pills. His body is breaking down. Like remember at... The time he walks away in 98, he's 32 years old, Mm -hmm.
0: which is, which is
1: sorry, by the way, is right around the same age. Pillman has the Humvee wreck. Like it's, you're talking about very young athletes that are facing like the rest of their lives potentially, and their bodies are breaking down and obviously would have completely different outcomes, but that's what Sean is facing. Here's a guy that is dependent on prescription drugs his body is breaking down and his future is looking very bleak in
0: 1998 Mm -hmm. i thought you know the the documentary really highlighted how much of a personal caregiver triple h was for him during those periods with hunter specifically saying like part of his routine every night with was to make sure that sean would get up to his hotel room uh he would like make sure that like he put him into bed and then set his alarm for every few hours to check on him to make sure that he did he wasn't dead basically um and that that really kind of shows you how alarming his state was. And to be given that level of responsibility in a company at a time when the man can barely be helped to like be kept alive, I think is pretty, here's the thing is like, I wasn't sure how much they were going to go into all of this because he, it's one thing for, uh you know, let's say Savage, you know, to like uh, be high on an episode of Nitro, but this is WWE and their world champion in this state on their own watch and, you know, you kind of have to, like, they don't place blame on Vince. Like, in, like and they don't don't place blame on the company.
1: Vince, Vince literally has that line where he said he was okay. Once he, in our environment, he was protected. It was outside of our environment. Like, what does that mean? Because this guy is a mess. And you go back to the Dark Side of the Ring episode and – What is it that Brian Pillman is his breaking point in his relationship with Jim Ross? It's when they are so concerned with him that they put him through a drug test, rightfully so, but his argument was, I'm hardly the only guy that's a mess here. And when you have Sean that you are sharing a locker room with, I can see that double standard and being furious that I'm being singled out, whereas Sean is, in theory, getting a free pass that the the locker room is seeing because this guy is falling apart as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I felt like, you know, you kind of have to draw your own um, conclusions, but I felt like it, it it pointed the finger at a WWE um, work environment a lot more than maybe some of the other documentaries have thus far in, in this A&E series. Um, but, you know, because this has such a strong, redemptive story, perhaps they feel willing to be go- able to go into that territory because the second half of his career, of course, is you know like um i mean it's it's it, it, arguably better than his first i think many people say and certainly um he does appear to be a very different person than he was the first time and then it kind of gets into like even the third stage of his career at this point now where you get to see a lot of backstage footage of him working with uh, NXT talent over the past year And it really kind of makes it look like he is very much at peace and excited about what he's doing today at the Performance Center.
1: Yeah, you kind of get those kind of three different viewpoints of Shawn Michaels in his professional career, like the first run, the second run and modern day. And, you know, it's it is a really remarkable story when you see it, because you look at Shawn through 98, 99 it's like it would be stunning to believe that this guy was was going to make it to to this degree. Like it really is um, unbelievable what he was able to turn around and deserves a lot of credit for that to be able to drop the, that addiction that he had. I thought it was a pretty chilling comment that Paul Levesque shares of whether it was meant seriously, half seriously or in jest was the remark Sean made that – had he just, like, overdosed on pills after WrestleMania 14, he would be viewed as a legend. Like, that that's a pretty scary state of mind to be in. Um, and, I mean, they, they did kind of focus on that earlier in his career when he gets... When him and Marty are fired immediately in 87 and they're down in Continental. And Sean is messed up on all this stuff. And he is contemplating suicide. Like, that is how much this guy was reliant on professional wrestling and thinking that at the age of 22 um my shot at the world wrestling federation was done and my career has peaked already in my early 20s when he's three years into this
0: Mm -hmm. when you consider all of that and then you go on to see you know the great run he would have later on um and the ability to just strictly focus on the art and ignore the rest of that bullshit like it, it is a you know very heartwarming enlightening story
1: Did you find it interesting, the analysis that even today, Sean acknowledging that his level of creativity and to get to a point of being fearless as a performer, he does not think he could have reached those heights without this reckless lifestyle. I found that to be really interesting and probably like a very honest answer that you look at a lot of quote-unquote tortured artists that that is their... Like, it is that element that it does produce art at the same time. Um, and, you know, he's saying, like, I could not have reached this this level uh, to push myself with without that at the same time. I found that to be very interesting and self-reflective. It,
0: it is interesting, yeah. Uh, you know, nobody would really know the answer to that except him. But certainly physically, I think, like, he would have been that either way. You know, would he have had the attitude that, you know, would have uh, attracted people, maybe attracted Vince McMahon to put the belt on him and to make him the top guy? Well, who knows? I mean, certainly the the Heartbreak Kid character is seems like a very much an extension of like who the guy is. And if he was as mellow as he is today back then, wearing the camo hat and the the, the jeans, you know, would he be as over as uh, as he was in the 90s? I, I don't know.
1: What have you thought, seeing he's been in all of these A&E pieces? I've been disappointed with Vince McMahon, just that it's... I don't know what his recollections are, how, how clear of a memory he has. But it's just, it's very basic stuff that Vince McMahon is providing. And I think for someone, you know, the level of notoriety of having Vince McMahon in your documentaries, it just feels like it's very surface level. Like, the most surface level. He, to me, if he wasn't Vince McMahon this would be stuff i'd be cutting from the episode to be honest
0: well the issues introduced thus far i would say largely aren't necessarily confrontational to vince himself um i'm trying to think like of the episodes that we've seen how many how much of the finger was like did you know vince have to answer for uh, it doesn't even get into it with the montreal screw job here cuz i think i mean they didn't didn't even present his side and
1: just his you know, role as like mediator slash you know <laughs> provocator involving Brett and Sean like his like he's in the midst of this like like essentially pulling the strings of these two very high-strung individuals I mean there's a lot of interesting dynamics at play there and I just think we're getting you know you just you just don't get much beyond surface level with Vince McMahon and that just to a further point you look at the documentary series they're creating on Vince McMahon how much of that is i think people are so enamored with the idea of a documentary series on vince McMahon, with the belief that this guy has done and seen everything but how much of that documentary series is going to be relied on other talking heads versus vince McMahon himself i don't know
0: well i really have to imagine because it's an entire series focused on the man that you can't just talk about the highlights of the man's life if you're doing a 90 minute show I can understand doing something like, you know, what we saw with the Sean piece, which is very, you know, relatively surface level. Hey, here are the highlights of the man's career. Uh, any sort of controversial aspect will kind of weave, th- even with Sean, though, like they talk about the controversies in his life. And Vince McMahon is not somebody who has lived without any controversy, obviously. So in the span of an entire series, I would have to expect that you would get some of that, you know, warts and all type of presentation.
1: Yeah. Overall, I would say this, if you ever read Sean Michael's book, uh, which came out, about 15 years ago, you know, that's, it's, it's shortly after his comeback. We're only a few years into the return. Um, You know, there's a lot of, you know, the same stuff covered in both, but this version of Sean in the documentary, I think is a much more grounded, reflective, taking ownership of his mistakes version, because even in the book, which is again, after his comeback, still very defensive, very much putting blame elsewhere does really comes off as someone that uh, it's it's very rare that you read an autobiography where the person becomes unlikable at times but he does in this book um taking a lot of pot shots at brett in the book very dismissive of you know newsletter coverage of himself pretty much any coverage of himself it was pretty much (laughs) he would talk about all the criticisms like Uh, you know, refusing to do jobs. He would say, there's no such thing as refusing to do a job. But then he'd always couch things with, did this happen? Yeah, but I was just trying to poke people. I was just trying to poke the bear. It was like he was acknowledging that he did these things, but, oh, it was just taken the wrong way it just it just wore thin in the book for me whereas this version it feels like a much more mature Shawn michaels
0: well were there instances in this documentary where you felt like some of the some of those things were uh answered in a different way like for instance the whole losing my uh his smile bit um what was your kind of takeaway after watching this
1: his Shawn- story has always his story has always been the same is that he went to a doctor in san antonio and his doctor, who I guess does not specialize with, with like athletes, which is a different, um, you know, type of analysis, like, you know, examining random person off the street versus high level intense athlete. And saw that Shawn Michaels, he had no ACL left and he had been working without an ACL for years and said, you can't ever wrestle again. And Shawn took this as gospel. um, Got a second opinion after the losing my smile speech, um, which I mean, Sean is a mess by this point at just in terms of the whole schedule and the drug use, but gets the second opinion from Dr. James Andrews, who is the guy that WWF sends all their people to and just like you can just wear a knee brace, you'll be fine. Like you don't even need surgery, but there was so much to that. Of Sean was scheduled to lose to Brett at WrestleMania. It was a very convenient way out of WrestleMania, which you can argue was for the best for the company because the backup plan ended up getting Austin that match with with Brett that was of significance import, uh, significant importance to the company. Um, but I mean, Brett has just always believed like there was more at play than what Sean was alleging, but Sean state, I mean, it could be a case of both being true that a doctor gave him this prognosis. And that was a very convenient way out of this, um, of working that WrestleMania with Brett.
0: Yeah. It's a, you know, he, the man has lived a very interesting life and therefore I thought it made a pretty interesting, um, 90 minutes here. It's not going to be as in depth as something like a book, uh, or, you know, it's not going to focus on a specific issue like, uh, Montreal or, or wrestling with shadows, but, you know, for a concise 90 minutes, if you are Shawn Michaels fan and kind of want to relive his entire career in that span of time or introduce him to somebody who doesn't really know Sean, I, I thought it was really well done.
1: What did you think about, uh, how they covered the return in Saudi Arabia?
0: <laughs> I don't think that, uh, exists.
1: WrestleMania 2010, my swan song, (laughs) much like Ric Flair's was uh, in WrestleMania 24 on this documentary as well. The final matches for each individual. But uh, that was the Shawn Michaels A&E biography. And uh, I guess next week is the main event with the Ultimate Warrior.
0: Yeah. Uh, Judging by the previews, I mean, it does look like they will talk about the man's faults. We will see how they present them and uh, we'll see what sort of redemptive story that they're able to tell for Warrior.
1: All right, on to Raw coming off of Night of the Zombies. Bobby Lashley was in the back with a group of women celebrating, um, not his sisters. And MVP introduced Bobby in the ring. He comes out and states that Braun Strowman has broken ribs and Drew McIntyre could not get out of bed this morning. Lashley did all of this while injured as he shows off his knuckles. And MVP offers an open challenge for Bobby Lashley tonight. It was sort of a joke. He's saying uh, he's injured. His
0: knuckles were damaged from beating Drew and Braun up so badly.
1: So Drew comes out and Adnan Burke points out that Drew did not lose. It was Braun that was pinned. So we had Drew, uh, we had Adnan Burke by way of Drew and Charlotte Flair essentially making the same arguments as a baby face and a heel that I was not beat.
0: That's why we had three ways, wasn't it?
1: Drew suggests they have a match tonight and he's accepting the open challenge. MVP says the open challenge is open for anyone except for Drew and Braun. And then Drew strikes down Lashley and is uh, held uh, Lashley's held back by MVP on the floor. So certainly keeping Drew McIntyre in the immediate future for Bobby Lashley. And we would see him later tonight, but he is disqualified from the open challenge and we would not see Braun at all tonight.
0: no. No, yeah but uh drew still i mean no real story or next opponent for braun you would think um unless he shows up next week tonight's episode could it have used him yeah maybe it could have um but what role do you see braun having at hell in a cell i don't even know if he gets a match
1: well it's it's so different now it seems like the pay-per-view strategy is it's not like all hands on deck anymore it's like we're gonna take a handful of programs and then we're going to space others out for television. Um, mm-hmm. Like we're getting the four way on SmackDown th- this week, so it's not Paper even a case. views. I'm not complaining about the format. I am curious if, if if they will. Well, I don't think they will stay with this format ultimately once they're going back to running live events. But for this next show next month, yeah, I three hour window is fine. Like I thought the the length, I had no issues with it on on Sunday. AJ Styles versus Elias. This was not Unbreakable 2005. Elias drops him in the corner, is attacking AJ's ribs. Um, we have a big standoff with Riker on the floor as we go to commercial break. And then Elias gets hit with a big back... Bo- or Sorry, Elias delivers a big back body drop as Adnan Virk channels his uh, inner Hulk Hogan from World War Three, yelling, Observe that! Yes. He just lit his notes on fire. <laughs> Styles tries for the Styles Clash. It's blocked. Elias hits the not identified symphony. I hope they didn't drop that. I mean, I feel like pretty unanimous. I mean, Appeal. just genius at work here. Uh, Styles sets up for the phenomenal forearm when Jackson Riker pulls him to the floor. A disqualification at eleven minutes and forty-seven seconds. Thanks. Great, great investment of my time. No, I, I got to say this was.
0: A pretty boring match, especially for AJ Styles' standards. Um, usually, you could just count on like any AJ match, even if a, if it was a throwaway to be. Um, yeah. was, it, was this a
1: babyface turn?
0: I have no idea. You had two heels facing each other here. AJ certainly wrestled the match like a babyface. You know, he was the undertug the entire time,
1: and Omos um, was booked like the babyface afterwards, where Riker goes at almost goes after Riker, and Elias sends AJ into the steps, and then Elias hides behind the announcers. Yeah, it's so so very it much positioning almost and AJ as the baby faces in a tag team
0: match, a title contender match with Elias and Jackson Riker. So um, I don't know how anybody can be excited for that, but uh, that's what we have next.
1: Well, I know you were excited for Alexa Bliss and her playground coming up with Tamina and Natalia. But first, Riddle is with the New Day. Riddle is talking about a two-headed snake. Yes. Orton appears. He assumes that is a shot at him. Orton was tricked into meeting with Riddle because he thought Adam Pierce wanted to see them. But it is Riddle trying to get New Day and Randy Orton back on the same page and suggests that Randy apologize for last week's attack. He refuses and... Kofi calls this reptile dysfunction.
0: A reptile dysfunction. Yeah.
1: Orton is not sorry from last week. Kofi says, I wouldn't accept your apology anyway. And warns Riddle that one of these days he's going to get an RKO. And Kofi challenges Randy to a match. Like 2009. Like 2009. I would have loved, like if during the invasion... We had some back and forth challenge, and they were just like 1989. Let's face off tonight, like
0: 1989. Oh yeah,
1: well, yeah that 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 that
0: hasn't well that would have happened in WCW, I think. Hey Hogan, me and you, like 1989.
1: Uh, well, then we got a confirmed listener here in Randy Orton, who Riddle goes to say something, and Orton. Ah, he pulled it off a lot better than TJP, though, I have to say. This was the highlight of Raw. Randy Orton. Compelling character. Yep. Alexa's any added thoughts here? Do you want to talk about the two headed snake? Reptile dysfunction? No, not really. No, is I'm like, just
0: I just can't wait for Randy Orton to destroy everybody here.
1: Alexa is in her playground with Tamina and Natalia, who agreed to do this segment with them. They talk about the title win. Lily wants to know what their favorite colors are. Tamina is threatening Alexa, but Alexa says that she enjoyed watching Tamina beat up Reginald last week. And then Alexa rambles on about dead insect wings and Natalia and Tamina walk off.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're fine. I mean, um, it's just... uh... (laughs) It, it this is just the level we're we're dealing with on this show. It's um, they just feel like they're like grade school type of um, drama people. Like, quick, give me a character who's creepy. You know what do they like to do? I well, don't dead bugs and flies and stuff.
1: Angel Garza comes out the lethal Lothario, and we had breaking news. Drew Gulak has theme music. He has always had theme music, hasn't he? Maybe on main event. Yeah, you wouldn't know on Raw. Right. So Garza and Gulak have their big showdown where Garza destroys this guy. He drops him, hits a double underhook backbreaker, channels his inner Otani with a face wash, and then the wing clipper for the win that is called a one-sided assault in 2 minutes and 13 seconds, where Gulak got no offense in, Garza takes the rose. Graves argues he won the match, he should be able to do what he wants. And sticks the rose into Gulak's mouth, as promised. Yeah, yeah, so,
0: um, a bit tamer than I would say the other one. Could have been a lot worse.
1: What, what orifice do they have left? you really want me to answer they gotta stretch this out
0: (laughs) yeah good choice of words
1: kevin patrick has found our truth and the 24 7 title is alive fear not his title is back everyone he pretends he can't see i unfortunately could he heard there's an open challenge for his title he's corrected it's lashley's open challenge and Tozawa crawls down the stairs and rolls him up to win the title. Tozawa's back. Our truth is back. The 24/7 title is back. A wonderful what are, representation are, through Akira Tozawa on this show. What, what kind of representation? What do you mean? Um uh, this is the Asian representation we we had Oh, okay, yeah, it is Asian... Uh, isn't it, like, Asian
0: Heritage Month or something?
1: Isn't that maybe that's games? why he's back,
0: yeah. Right, yes, a man playing a ninja on TV. That's they put great. the title on him. It's big. Yeah. I don't... I, they might be building to something. Who knows, dude? But, like, this entire show just seems to be... It's, um, it's got its, its template, and it's got its, like, um, maybe uh, kitchen of... Various finishes and various archetypes that it can insert into the show. And we're just seeing them tossed one by one. Uh, distraction finish here. Uh, you know, a creepy, um, I don't know, super natural creature here. Uh, we'll have a 24 segment here where the uh, Kiritozao will win the uh, the belt from R-Truth or vice versa here.
1: And uh, there's three hours. Well, wait, we were only an hour in here. Randy Orton versus Kofi Kingston from 2009. Uh Riddle and Xavier Woods are ringside. That would be key. Uh, We had a long headlock by Orton. Kingston would come off the buckle and drop kicks Randy's shoulder that he starts selling. Caught him with a power slam. But then, Xavier Woods started playing the trombone. Randy could not focus. And due to the trombone, Kofi rolled him up and won in 5 minutes and 12 seconds. Byron yells, classic distraction. Kofi Kingston is your winner. It's ridiculous. Like they are so afraid of
0: making Kofi Kingston look stronger than Randy Orton that they have to resort to making your baby faces cheat to win. I just don't understand that at all. I really don't. Why do you have to put him against Randy Orton then? You know? Um it's really tough to want to cheer for these baby faces after this.
1: Riddle then argues with Xavier Woods. He did not think this was on the up and up. Orton is just seething. He leaves the ring, and then Riddle shoves Woods, showing his allegiance to Randall over the of new course sh- Of course he should. He cheated. Deserved that shove. I-, I thought warranted, yes. Pierce and DeVille met with the entire women's division. Lana and Naomi, Dana Brooke, and Mandy Rose. Lana complains that people are always interfering when we get our title matches. Rose and Brooke argue, we beat Natalia and Tamina. Charlotte walks in and says, you've all blown your chances. And Dana Brooke, under her breath, says, like you did last night. What's that? Nothing. I've never seen human beings interact in this form. I have never seen something like this. Well, these aren't human
0: beings. They are... um, Superstars. (laughs) They're that. They're also just, uh, you know, creations on a page by a group of people. I don't think they're supposed to represent real people at all.
1: Like, imagine they just, like, added some, like, just, uh, you know, you guys have blown all your chances. Like you did last night. Hey, fuck you.
0: Um, yeah, I don't know how USA would, would feel, but I think that would be cool. Yeah.
1: Charlotte wants a singles match with Ripley. She explains, I was not pinned. Therefore I did not lose, but she's got to beat Oscar tonight. Ripley walks in. She's ready for some new competition. Charlotte is yesterday's news. So that would be the story going into our match with Charlotte and Oscar, which would be a perplexing end. But first, we have a rematch for the women's tag titles. Tamina and Natalia against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Blah, blah, blah. Shayna Baszler is going for the Kirifuda Clutch, but it is stopped when the pyro goes off. Blinding Reginald. <laughs> and this allows... <laughs> Shayna is apparently stunned by all of this. She is left prone for the heart attack, and Natalia pins in 3 minutes and 14 seconds. This is after Alexa has come out and is the one responsible for the pyro, or Lily could also take ownership of this. And Naya tends to blind Reginald, and we get laughter sound effects.mp3 throughout the arena, and the announcers are demanding help come down for Reginald. No one comes to help this man. Unsafe working environment.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's technically not really a act. I guess he is an active performer. They're on their way. They're on their way, John. I think it was Lily because uh, that's what the laughter was supposed to represent. It was her her doing. Okay. Um. So, yeah, they're going ahead with uh, Alexa potentially taking on either Naya or Shayna. Or both. Oh, sorry, sorry, Tamina or Natalia.
1: Or it could be Shayna, I don't know she's, I think it's she's, Shana. She's, she's, I think it's gonna be Shayna and Naya, like uh, by the way, the voodoo wore off within a week, so her knee was fine. it was uh, yeah, it's got a radius that where it's effective
0: um I mean honestly, would you prefer the zombies or this this? I know yeah, you I prefer, would. You would choose. I prefer the zombies because at least. That, is there much that's difference? Wade? like, what are
1: we talking the difference of? Like, uh, Lily and the zombies. Like, what exactly is the? the
0: I can laugh. The difference? I can. I, I find some some laughter in just the, the absurdity. But I mean, there's there's plenty of absurdity in this one too. Uh, yeah, none of it's really ideal, and um, I think it's it's just hilarious that um, we do this for a living. You know, talking about this at like 12 a.m. And this is what we do. Man, you're broken.
1: No, it's just another Monday. Seamus storms out. He says, Ricochet, I know it was you. So, somebody had stolen Seamus's clothes in the locker room. So. This is is serious business. Because this, this is what. Precipitated uh, Tom Billington and Jacques Rougeau's problems back in nineteen eighty eight. Oh yeah, all Kurt Hennig okay. stealing clothes, well, destroying maybe this, them.
0: A, maybe this was a reference to to that whole incident. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, it, it's
0: the promo here that Ricochet cuts is really interesting because like they could have just had Ricochet leave the kickoff yesterday with the clothing. But because he dropped the clothing off, he they had, had to, to re-steal them. They had to tell us that he stole them back. So we had to have two uh, clothing um, burglaries.
1: <laughs> Yesterday was literally the dress rehearsal. Yes. Very good. Yeah, Ricochet's in the back. He's been accused of stealing Seamus's jacket and hat, which Sarah Shriver says, pretty strong accusations by Seamus. And then uh, they showed the footage from the night prior. So I can imagine people were confused by this, that these were two separate stealings. Yeah. He
0: stole it twice. Yeah. Um, He's just that crazy.
1: So then Ricochet walks off camera, and wouldn't you know it, he comes in dressed in Seamus' clothes. (laughs) He says, I feel like Ernest the Cat. It's like, Ernest the Cat was handled with much more care than you in 1999, but I'm sure if you had those slippers, you could maybe uh, tap them together like Dorothy and say, there's no place like New Japan. There's no place like New Japan. And then Ricochet does his Seamus impression. This man is not cool, but it's uh, this did lead to, I thought, easily the best match on the show.
0: Uh, I suppose. I suppose so.
1: You were just You were just in
0: in a disarray Man, by this. Point, I just so I just feel like okay. Here's Ricochet, and who knows if Ricochet was even supposed to be in this position because it, it probably he's probably just a replacement for Carrillo. But they have so much trouble trying to come up with a personality for this guy that they're just like <laughs> trying to make him do anything, like stealing clothes and. <laughs> you got a new gimmick ricochet you steal
1: clothes how's your irish accent (laughs) pretty bad it's pretty bad all right well uh it's live and we and we want you to dab
0: (laughs) he's doing that now he dabbed in the clothes so man it's like um fuck dude like this is this is the same company that's like giving us, what is it, the Hit Row on Tuesdays and Ricochet on Mondays. Um, dabbing and uh, doing Irish accents, man. It's, um, he probably wishes he could jump back down there.
1: You know what is my absolute favorite part of this story, though? What's that? This whole story is based around Seamus getting his gear stolen. And in the midst of this, somebody has stolen Ricochet's gear because now he's wrestling exclusively in these black jeans. He's got yeah. all this, like, expensive, beautiful-looking tights, and he's wrestling now in jeans. Well, that was clearly pro-
0: part of the problem. That's why he was, wasn't that over. You know, this is a new Ricochet. A street Ricochet.
1: So they had their match. Um... I thought it was a really good match they had here. You had Ricochet, like, just racing around this guy. He was working, like, at an elevated speed. Sheamus is just cutting him off at different points. Ricochet scales to the top for a one-man Spanish fly and partially lands on Sheamus's leg, uh, which didn't look fun. As Sheamus is doing all of these uh, higher-risk uh, maneuvers, it's, um, he's a large man to be doing this with. Uh, but continued on. There is a springboard clothesline, standing shooting star for a two count. quebrada lands on the knees of Sheamus, and then he misses a brogue kick going into the ropes. Sheamus then rolls to the floor, takes a high cross, and then Ricochet comes off the middle rope and is drilled with a symphony. Yes, every I think Kenny Omega should take that name. Um, this was like um. I feel like this was supposed to be the finish. That's really what it came off as. I, I, I think it was supposed to be the false, because that's what they used
0: last night. And then they kept going, like, without any sort of hesitation. And I I feel like it was supposed to be just the false, but...
1: It might have been. It just... It didn't seem like everyone was on the same page here, because it was the, one of those... like counted three. Yeah. And then Sheamus just immediately kills him with the bro kick and ends it in thirteen twenty nine. So they went right to the finish after this. Nonetheless, I I thought this was a very good match uh, between these two.
0: I mean, I thought there was a pretty significant moment after the kickout because you had Ricochet like give one final big slap to Sheamus. Almost uh, that's right. He did do defiance. the slap. You're right. You're right. So you know they've gotten some good matches out of Ricochet for Sheamus over these past couple days. Uh, I do get the sense that this is just some sort of time fill as Kareel heals up. But, you know, he has taken this opportunity to remind everybody how good of a wrestler he is. And, um, <laughs> yes, breaking news
1: Ricochet is a very good wrestler. He just chose a company that will be great financially for him, but, uh, creatively yeah. stifling.
0: They gave him a story, they gave him a bit of a new care personality. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I wonder how far this will go.
1: But then, Seamus gets on the microphone and in maybe the best line of this man's career. You're not dancing now, are you, Rick O'Shea? Dude, cool. I love this Seamus character. I, I think this guy has had like a really great run this year. I really enjoy this guy.
0: Uh, he's, he's been very good,
1: yeah. And he indicates he might answer Lashley's open challenge. Might. Might not. Yeah,
0: well... I don't know what the sign-up was like back there, because a lot of people declared their intention to come out and didn't.
1: Connor and Victor were in the back. They said that when they helped Lashley, it was not a gift. It was a loan. And tonight, they are coming to collect. They flip a coin for who will challenge Bobby Lashley tonight. This was a first, because one, I guess, called heads, the other called tails, and it must have landed on the middle, because neither would answer this challenge. Um, Props to the graphics department and whoever got the Acolyte starter uh, finger paint for T-Bar's chest here.
0: It's ridiculous. Like, this gimmick is just so straight out of the 80s, and... um... At least, like we didn't have random animals mentioned in this promo. (laughs) Like these promos, the last time, every time we we hear them from these two, it's just like nonsensical. I don't know what. Uh, this week it made some sense. Um, except for the coin flip, and not going with it.
1: It was a no contest. The coin flip didn't want to. They were just
0: here to flip coins. That's what they. That's the challenge. Can you flip a coin and catch it?
1: They didn't want to bury heads, you know? They wanted to get tails over, but they wanted to protect heads. Asuka and Charlotte Flair, the latest go-around. So, Flair's in control after the break. Asuka makes this comeback. She lands a head kick that doesn't fully land. And then Charlotte has this delayed reaction to the head kick that Corey Graves notes, to me... After Saturday with Shane Burgos, very realistic way to sell a shot to the head. It doesn't always pay dividends immediately. Did you see that ending to this fight? Uh, no,
0: I didn't. No, I didn't. It see. Was... I mean, I saw this. That I saw that it like it looked like it connected to the back of the head, mm-hmm. and and then Charlotte um like ended up like selling like covering her mouth. So I'm not exactly sure. Like, I wonder if she might have actually, uh, who knows what happened. Maybe she actually got hurt, or maybe not at all.
1: So Asuka is running through here, Bulldog sliding knee, and then the natural selection gets countered. She's going for the Asuka lock when Charlotte lands the Judas effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, was kind of nice. She like She missed the boot, but followed up with the elbow then she goes to the t- charlotte goes to the top with oscar to set up for the spanish fly and like the idea that they explained was that oscar like blocked it but the way this came off was like charlotte got to the top and just did a backflip onto the mat
0: it looks really wacky well oscar was holding on to the 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 turnbuckle <sighs>
1: With her feet. If you were giving me a one-man Spanish fly, <laughs> I don't think you're getting to the launch position. If I'm holding onto that rope, she just rotates right over, no problem. Um, we'll have to try it. Okay, we'll we'll try that next time. Uh, they trade covers. They're just going back and forth here. Oscar's got a knee bar. Then Flair lifts her up. Oscar goes to a triangle, but doesn't get the arm over. Our latest UFC reference with Andrea Lee and Antonina Shevchenko on Saturday. Oscar Lock is applied. They roll to the rope, and then Flair kicks her knee, wrenches it through the rope. Meanwhile, Rhea Ripley's been out this whole time on commentary, or just sitting there. She's not even providing commentary for us. They have a face off. Oscar comes towards them with this back fist that comes up short. Ripley is in no danger from this from this back fist, and then Flair gets sent into the ropes, knocking Ripley off the apron. We go through a bunch of reversals. Charlotte tries for the figure four, and Asuka cradles her to pin her in 16 minutes and 47 seconds. So my conclusion is Rhea Ripley needs some new challengers. I have beaten Asuka multiple times. Asuka has now beaten Charlotte, I think I can move on justifiably because I have no interest in seeing these two women pursue this championship. Yeah, this
0: was really surprising. The end result. Uh, I actually really liked the match. I thought they carried on the same pace as last night and I thought they worked even faster here, uh, building on a lot of, you know, counter for counter near falls. And it felt like, you know, like a game of like speed chess almost between two people who who played with one another a, a lot of times. Um, but the booking I was definitely perplexed by, cause felt like the reason for the three-way with Oscar taking the pin, or uh, taking the loss, yeah, taking the pinfall, it was so that you could do a Charlotte match with Rhea Ripley, and now I don't know.
1: Another three-way, Hell in a Cell? Oh my God, no! I do not want to go that direction. This was a, this was a very perplexing end. Kevin Patrick is with the alive John Morrison. Can you even attempt to explain what happened last night? It was very interesting to watch the handling of this because they are putting stock in what happened last night because the Miz is gone and the idea is something has happened to the Miz, but that was it. There was no recap of the zombies. There was just veiled references to it and... This was the extent of where we got. It was, um...
0: There in, in, Morrison indicates that Miz may be changed forever. So, um... I mean, it, you would think that he'd be a zombie. But I thought Morrison would be a zombie too because wasn't he brought down by the zombies? He seemed perfectly fine.
1: Maybe he had a, um... um Maybe he was wearing, like, um... I was gonna say garlic. Garlic are vampires. Right. Yeah, I, uh what are zombies? I don't know. He thinks that something is picking at his brain and rotting inside. The Miz might never be the same, and he's dedicating tonight's match to the memory of the Miz. Mm-hmm. Yep. Damian Priest and John Morrison in a lumberjack match. Our lumberjacks consisted they, of.
0: Isn't this like? Did they actually announce that this would be a lumberjack match?
1: There was a graphic uh, during one of the matches where they did promote a lumberjack match coming up later. Oh, okay. But there was no setup isn't, for it. Isn't this hilarious? Like, you were you didn't have the lumberjack match last week and <laughs> you saved it for today. Yeah. Uh, we had the Viking Raiders, Titus, T-Bar, Mace, Cedric Alexander, Shelton Benjamin, Ali. So Ali was reunited with his former Retribution mates. It was honestly like... Kind of sad because you see
0: all these people surrounding the ring, and I think the one thing they all have in common is that, um, I don't know how much their career aspirations are being met.
1: I feel like everybody ringside is probably quite frustrated. What happened? This was our this was our follow up appearance for Mansoor after debuting two weeks ago, Mm -hmm. and the return of Nikki Cross. Yeah, it's just by the way Nikki Cross is here. She's a female lumberjack. Yeah. yeah. She's going to throw Morrison back into the ring. She's crazy. So they had a match. Tozawa, uh, Morrison tossed Tozawa into the ring and then he runs over the barricade to do his whole parkour routine as he gets back into the ring.
0: I I thought this really made no sense. Because it was like Morrison going out of his way to run away from the ring and then jump from the crowd over top of everybody doing his parkour stuff back into the ring. When I think the idea was that he was trying to evade the lumberjacks using parkour, but he could have just rolled back into the ring in the first place. He had to avoid an opening in the ring
1: to do all this other shit.
0: Well, he's vain. He just wants any excuse to do the parkour. Yeah, I get it.
1: Anyway, Morrison slipped on the rope mistakenly, but then Priest got him, superplexed him to the floor. There's a rule that whenever you have a lot of people ringside, you got to do a superplex onto everybody, so they all go down like dominoes. And then Priest hit a top rope hurricanrana, hit the lights, and he wins in 1208. I thought there was a lot of effort
0: put into like creating some cool spots. Uh, as maybe as much as the parkour didn't really work for me, I thought, you know, it was nice to see somebody try something different on a show that typically just kind of recycles matches and recycles finishes. So I appreciated that. I actually thought the suplex into the pile looked really cool. But um, yeah, like this was. Um, mm,
1: this, was another a match. this was a
0: match. This was a match. Oh, it was a lumberjack match.
1: You're right. Priest was so happy with this win, and we would find out why. Because he announced to Sarah Schreiber, it's time to move on. <laughs> the Miz and John Morrison are in the past. Maybe I'll accept the open challenge tonight. I, I did not like the fact that you set up... I'm fine with like the heels, it's not a big deal. But the babyfaces, like a Damian Priest... Stating that he's going to answer this open challenge, and then there's no explanation for why. It just kind of made this look like, well, why didn't you answer the open challenge? There was no explanation of how this open challenge is actually answered. It's like does everyone have a buzzer in their locker room and they they have to like answer a skill testing question to to get the open challenge? There was no explanation of this, but instead they just teased these baby faces showing up, and then they didn't.
0: Well, I like to think that there's a big lineup back there, and then whoever lines up earliest gets a spot. So either. Well,
1: you just gave more explanation than we got.
0: Either Kofi, you know, went right there after his match, or he had like somebody save a spot for him.
1: Maybe they were all lined up, and then they heard the trombone, and they were all fixated on the noise, and Kofi came out. Could be it. Yeah. Eva Marie spot, and then Kevin Patrick is with Shelton Benjamin, who is not going to waste...
0: Hold on a second. Th- these Eva Marie spots, is she supposed to be a baby face? I don't think so. She comes off as a heel to me. Definitely comes across as a heel, but um, I, I'm at least intrigued to see whether or not they think that this is actually the makings of a baby face character, because everything she's saying is about being inspirational and yeah typically that is done by heel but it's um i don't i don't know if i'm as 100 percent convinced that this is going to be a heel thing
1: it's so shallow just the um it's all about a perfect picture but it's the 99 bad ones before it um i don't know it screams heel character to me but you know what it's to anybody but um you know we'll we'll find out like which mp3 will be played when she arrives at the thunderdome mhm shelton is not wasting any promo time on cedric alexander he wants to challenge lashley he won't uh cedric walks in and steals the promo time saying everyone abandons you shelton because you're worthless so benjamin just punches him yeah so this feud continues it continues Final segment, Lashley and MVP are out, and the open challenge is answered by Kofi Kingston. And that's just it. No explanation as to how this open challenge works. He's just out here. And as the bell is about to ring, MVP clarifies, this isn't for the title. Yeah. Non-title match. So Lashley immediately hits him with a slam. They go back and forth. Lashley hits a Judas effect. This is the most over maneuver on Raw.
0: I mean, really, it's just an elbow strike. Well, sure. It's...
1: MVP tells Lashley to get urgent. Hurry up. Woods uses the trombone, and Lashley cannot resist. It's just too much, and he gets upset at Woods. Kingston flies off the apron with his DDT. SOS is countered with the spin off the shoulders, and then Kingston is sent to the floor, Run into the post. He goes to do it again when put, when Woods saves Kingston, and the referee is dealing with Xavier, telling him not to get involved. And MVP has the cane. He's going for the cane shot. When Drew appears, takes the cane, and hits Lashley in the throat, allowing Kofi Kingston to roll up Lashley in 10-54. And Drew celebrates with the New Day while Lashley is fuming.
0: Well, I like the fresh matchup. I mean, it's going to be Lashley. And, I mean, shit, we're going to see it again, I suppose, after this this one. but. Uh, You would think that next time would be for the title. And I think it's nice to see Kofi being put into a prime spot. I hate the fact that they think so little of him, though, that they had to book him in cheating victories in both instances on this show. This is a guy who at one time they booked to win a gauntlet match, Um, you know, going for an entire hour. And tonight he can barely beat these two people, Randy Orton and Lashley, without several distractions in this case he had three things he cheated three times here he had woods with the trombone he had uh drew mcintyre distract and drew mcintyre using a cane so i hate the fact that they booked kofi kingston to win this way i understand wanting to make bobby lashley look strong but i feel like for a baby face you can't really have them cheat to win so, and You know, it's we just went through a whole month of Cesaro not being really taken seriously as a challenger. I think Kofi would have had that issue anyway, but it is so obvious he's just sort of a side character, a time-filled challenger before we get to Drew because you have Drew standing next to Kofi on the ramp celebrating the entire time that it's going to be really hard to take him seriously. And certainly booking like this doesn't help.
1: That is what I was going to say. It's that he is the Cesaro on Raw. It's the challenger to keep the champion busy, but not someone we're fully behind. I mean, that, that came off very apparent on this show, that you get a TV match at best out of this, that they'll probably drag on. They'll probably get Lashley and Woods, Lashley and Kingston, Lashley against both New Day members, Drew getting involved, and there we go. So that was Raw. Um... Oh, it was a terrible
0: show. It was really bad.
1: I, I didn't think it was at the level of the prior two weeks.
0: I enjoyed um, some of the wrestling on the show, but man, like, the stories are really bad. Um,
1: That's a given on this show.
0: They're really bad. Like, all this Alexa stuff is pretty awful. Um, I don't know. Riddle and Orton, um, I, I await the turn, but you're... Your enjoyment depends on maybe how much you could tolerate the riddle stuff that um, pairing's
1: fine. I think it's actually helped riddle a lot in these sure. segments having it's
0: taken him from completely unbearable to somewhat bearable, so it is an improvement um Garza and gulak the thing about shoving roses up people's uh, up 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 holes that's one of the, one of the stories you have um ricochet stealing clothes um to get title matches. Um, what else is was on the show here? Um, I mean, the whole thing about the open challenge, I thought was like, I understand you want to draw intrigue throughout the uh, the the night, the three hours. Okay, who's who's uh Bobby Lashley going to face? I just feel like it in the in the attempt to create mystique, you made an entire roster look really bad. By you know, claiming that they want to challenge for some something, and then and up I'm not not doing it. Um, feels like the women's title we're just kind of like spinning in circles with, with these same three challengers. And what else? What what about the tag t- title situation? What is that?
1: Oh yeah, well, that's AJ and Omos with, uh, with Elias Elias and
0: Riker. and Riker, like just awful. So and then of course you have the lumberjack stuff. So it's a pretty uh pretty bad show with very little to look forward to.
1: Yeah, the stories are pretty much bankrupt on Raw, uh, I would say. Let's go to the forum. Tonight's show got a 4.09, uh, which is 4.07, higher than Way had it, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10. And let's read what Paul from New Jersey thought. First off, the good. This is the most I've liked Riddle. The Asuka Japanese culture insert was very nice, and her match with Charlotte was very good. I didn't expect to get a clean finish. For the bad, I really felt for Natalia and Tamina. You've just won the tag titles. It's your first night on Raw, and you have to deal with the drivel of Bliss Wyatt. You would think it would be hard to forget a guy kicking a flower up another guy's ass, but I forgot until tonight. Thanks for the reminder. Angel Garza is one of my young favorites, so it's really good to see him prosper with such brilliant writing. After last night, I'm skipping anything to do with Miz and Morrison. If we were to get into the head of Alexa Bliss, do you think that she thinks what she's doing is good, or do you think that she's aware of what... Crap! This is—it's something I've often wondered. Is she talking about she's her seen- character?
0: I think she means the performer, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I—I I, I have to imagine. I think she she putting a lot of effort into it to make it work. Um, that I—I I could buy that after you know they yell cut. She, I could buy that she would say, "Oh yeah, like that was good,"
1: <laughs> but um. L- look at watched. how much of this show is bu- built around this. It's not like you're getting... It's more of these segments. I mean, I'm sure she's being told, like, this. we're running with this. We're happy with this. You're playing this character just like we want it. I'm sure she's getting a lot of positive feedback to it. Uh They, they would not be investing this time and effort into it if not.
0: Let's remember, like, Alexa was also somebody who didn't feel like she was um, kind of a main player for a long time being stuck in a tag team with Nikki cross, not really doing anything of note. So now this seems like it's a big singles push for her where she's destined to probably clear the division with this demon character. So in that sense, I'm I'm sure she's happy that she's getting that airtime, but creatively is she fulfilled? I mean, who knows, who knows what even her ambitions are. Maybe she just wants to like, maybe she doesn't care that much, but I think we've all seen Alexa bliss at her potential. You know, during that SmackDown title run when she was able to like uh, her presence was just so incredibly strong and her promos were great and her wrestling was pretty good, too. You're not seeing any of that here. Uh, You're instead seeing, I would say, some pretty cringeworthy, bad writing, bad, badly scripted, um, bad horror camp every single week. So. I have my opinions. Um, I wonder how we don't know how she feels. All right, we'll go to Roy from Rhode Island who said to follow up on last night's discussion about potential challenges for Roman and given the corresponding dearth of top faces on Raw, what is Edge's current status? Is he injured or were they just keeping him out of the way of out of the way of Cesaro's push? I can't see him beating either Roman or Lashley, but what else is there for him that won't feel like a downgrade or
1: retread? I I mean, I just I don't think that Edge is going to be your regular performer i think he's going to come in and out throughout the year i i kind of feel like you just finished that and to me if you were going to revisit that in the near future uh you wouldn't have done the finish you did at wrestlemania
0: see edge is somebody who i can see being very creatively um i guess um selective when it comes to what he signs up for like if you were to sign up a I wonder how he would do with a feud with The feed, but um, I (laughs) also feel like he's not coming in for, you know, any kind of, like, throwaway feud with... um, Should take your pick. I don't know. Um, King Corbin. Yeah, or Apollo Crews. Like, I can't see Edge coming in for that. So I think... Whatever it is, I hope it is a pairing that makes sense for the Edge character. What would this current Edge character face? Who would he face? I'd love to see Kevin Owens. I think that'd be awesome. Those two would do some oh, great with Edge. storytelling. Okay. Yeah, those two would 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 do some great storytelling together.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean there's there's interesting options. I'm I I more so look at um I I think with Reigns, I'm I, I look at Smackdown and I sense like a show that is pretty pretty dialed in. Regarding, like, that is the story, the show revolves around this character, and I expect like that Roman's programs are going to have the utmost importance and as much long-term planning as you can have long-term planning in modern-day WWE. Um, Whereas on Raw, I I think we're really struggling to find interesting scenarios for Bobby Lashley. It's not just um, finding bodies, it's also some kind of compelling stories and again it's just the like i I can't tell you one story that's happening on raw that is really grabbing my interest every week that even in a three-hour show there's this story to point to that's really interesting week to week of where it's going
0: see the thing is like they went with kofi tonight and i feel like if they really wanted to they could tell an amazing story with kofi kingston that potential is there Okay, like the man has been without the championship for a couple of years, like a year, over a year now. um, He's been fucking around, like doing bullshit with Riddle this entire time. How great would it be like to have somebody like, you know, Lashley just slap him in the face and wake the guy up and try and, you know, to, to, to make him want to get that championship back. That story, I think, would be that much more compelling than even what they're doing right now with Drew McIntyre, which is not that compelling because it's, you know, they're just repeating it so often. But uh, we're not getting that. Instead, we're getting the Kofi Kingston who is, uh, you know, winning the uh, trombone uh, and cheating. So
1: well, he was two and zero tonight with the trombone. So don't knock it.
0: The, you know what he the the trombone would have really helped with Brock Lesnar. That's for sure.
1: They weren't thinking of that. So live and learn. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Another edition of Raw in the books. You gonna rewatch it tonight? Hey, the weather's nice, at least.
0: You know? I can go to bed, forget about all this, and tomorrow, hopefully, it'll be sunny.
1: That's the thing about Raw, everybody. The sun always rises the next day. It's a brand new day. Endless possibilities.
0: And NXT looks good tomorrow.
1: It does look good tomorrow, yes. Uh, I'm looking forward to that cage match. Um, that should be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, typically, outside of Raw, I can't say there's any shows that I, I look at and be like, Oh, no, it's it's this show.
0: Yeah. It's the it's the first workout of the week.
1: Mondays Mondays are a struggle, I am not gonna lie. There are few Mondays these days where I'm saying, Oh, we got three hours tonight of Raw. Mm-hmm. Which is not always the case. Like the three hours is what it is, but it's this last I would say last six, seven Five weeks. Years. Well, I, th- I think we're at a different level. These, this post-mania run. Like It just feels like a show. I feel that... like you said that exact same sentence
0: or had that exact same sentiment. Anytime Raw hits another low. Well,
1: <laughs> I could be repeating myself. I might. But hey, that is it for us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're back on... When are we back? We
0: are back on Wednesday for Rwanda Dynamite. But tomorrow, join our friends at Up Next for the review of NXT and uh, shot in the dark on Wednesday, also on the up next feed. So do check it out. And by the way, everybody, if you've been experiencing issues or at least um t- uh, problems downloading our shows or seeing our shows reflected quickly on Apple Podcasts, there seems to be a, a bug attached to the latest update to iOS. So that might be part of the reason. Uh, so we suggest maybe using another app to listen to our shows. I recommend Overcast on Apple or um. You can listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or right at postwrestling.com. You can stream the show from there. Uh, that's probably the first place where you'll find it every single week.
1: You know what would be nice? Every Monday, we get this like uh, chart email, and it always comes in like Monday afternoon, and I'll open up my email, and it'll feature, like if someone's left some feedback, there's nothing worse than opening up your email and you just get to read what a piece of garbage i am so you know what you could be really nice you could leave you could leave some nice feedback and it'll make its way to my inbox next week leave a leave a nice message wait
0: who send who sends you stuff like that call them out right now who does that this is uh, when people leave reviews like on app uh, or on iTunes yes Oh, the iTunes are our iTunes ratings are pretty.
1: It's very rare you get the negative one.
0: The the, they are the ones that stand out. Unfortunately, you know it is sort of a bad habit. They really Um, are. Our iTunes ratings are are actually pretty strong. But yeah, uh, leave a good one, please. Send make make cheer this man up, okay? Please cheer the man up with a happy Apple review. Subscribe to us on YouTube if you're watching us on YouTube.
1: Man, come on. Post-wrestling on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, you just can't get enough.
0: Yes, that's right. So thank you, everybody, no matter where you're listening to us, and uh, the sun will rise tomorrow.